Chapter 3 A week passed. Before I knew it, I was in the lab again, preparing to view Vincent's dreamscape. I arrived several minutes before he did. This time, I had already inputted my parameters into the computer and prepared myself. Then I took out my tablet and read a research article to pass the time. Vincent entered the lab several minutes later, but I kept my attention on the article, even when he had approached me and sat in the chair adjacent to mine. I looked up briefly. Hey, I greeted him. He sort of gave me a nod as he set himself up for the procedure. I had tried to think of something casual and intelligent to say to him beforehand, but had settled on remaining silent for the time being. Perhaps after I viewed his dreamscape, it would be easier to conjure up a conversation with this antisocial individual. Vincent was leaning back in the chair with his eyes closed and brow furrowed in a troubled manner. He appeared exhausted. Are you feeling all right? I asked in a low tone. He nodded, eyes still closed. Just then our instructor signaled for us to begin the lab session. I was nervous as I placed the visor on my face and readied myself to observe. Becoming part of another person's dream was an altogether surreal experience. I was conscious, yet in a mixed-up kind of way, like I was floating somewhere unfamiliar, waiting for my feet to land. At last, I felt myself begin to adjust to Vincent's dreamscape. Whereas initially I struggled to discern colors and sounds, I could now make them out and identify what it was I saw. The scene became clear before me. Vincent, in what seemed to be his room in the academy, sat at a desk typing on a blank keyboard. There were two monitors in front of him, each lit up and showing what looked like HTML code. He was working. I took my eyes off him and examined the rest of the room. Some of the details were rather vague, as if they made up part of a pre-rendered background. I walked around his room, attempting to touch various items, but could not actually connect with anything. I came up behind Vincent and reached out my hand to him. It passed easily through him and his desk chair. Time was different in the dream. I couldn't say exactly how long Vincent worked, but at last the scene did change. His room vanished, and he walked through the halls of the academy. I found that I was connected to him somehow, and whether I moved was irrelevant. If he moved, I moved as well. My freedom to explore was limited to where he dreamt we were at present. There were people with no faces and sounds of voices which made no actual words. Movement, color, sound, all blended into an inconsequential scene. Vincent moved through it, paying little attention to any of the details. We stopped in the cafeteria. There were many more chairs and tables than in reality, and so many people. It was like a labyrinth. I could feel Vincent's heaviness in that room. He moved more slowly, weaving through the tables and chairs filled with more nondescript faces. Someone spoke to Vincent. Maybe it was Rachel. It sort of looked like her, but when she moved her head, her features would change. I couldn't hear what she said because every sound in that room was suppressed, like being underwater. Then something rather odd happened. Vincent jumped onto one of the tables and climbed up the wall. I glanced around, expecting some reaction from the people in the room. They had already begun to disappear. Vincent's movement pulled me with him. He opened the ceiling, and we were in an air duct so large we could easily stand. As Vincent moved, the duct morphed, and the walls opened up until we were outside. Vincent kept walking, and eventually stood on a beach at twilight. Several people sat around a large campfire, and music played in the background. Vincent sat with the people there, and they all laughed about something. I found myself fixated by the scene before me, 
taking in every small detail and savoring the sense of nostalgia which flooded through me. This was a memory, not merely a dream. It was sharper and cleaner than the rest of what I'd seen in Vincent's dreamscape. The people's faces didn't blur or change, though their features were slightly unclear. Vincent laughed with them as they poked at the bonfire with sticks. I could almost smell the burning logs from the campfire and the salt from the ocean. Even the wind gently blew, rifling Vincent's hair and clothes. Knowing I couldn't interact with anyone in the dream, I passed through their circle until I stood in the fire itself. There I sat and watched Vincent laugh and talk to his friends. Then all at once everything faded and I was left in the dark. The lab session was over. I removed the visor and breathed slowly, readjusting myself to the real world. Beside me, Vincent remained motionless, with the halo and mask still in place. I reached over and removed the mask from his face, then checked to be sure the program had ceased running. It wasn't unusual for the dreamer to remain asleep for at least a few moments after the session had ended. Around the room, others gradually awakened, and finally Vincent stirred. I sat back in my chair, waiting for him to fully rouse. He sat up. How are you feeling? I asked. Fine, he said, but he winced slightly as though in pain. We were given time that morning to debrief in one of the lounges, not far from the lab. Students paired off, speaking quietly and taking notes on their laptops. Vincent and I found a small table by a window. What did you think? he inquired. His hands were already busy with his laptop, his attention fixed on the screen. I exhaled thoughtfully. Well, much of the dream was rather unclear. I couldn't tell who you were speaking to, really, or what was being said. You moved around a lot, too. Vincent's gray eyes broke away from the screen and landed on my face. I meant about the overall experience as an observer. The dream itself was meaningless. Oh, I said, embarrassed. Vincent's tone and attitude made me very self-conscious. I wanted to crawl under the table. Well, that part was quite intriguing. It was like, um, how do I describe it? Playing a video game, he offered. I paused. Yes, exactly, I agreed but an older one with pre-rendered backgrounds. Vincent nodded. What else? Huh? About the dream pairing. Right. Well, I was tied to you. I couldn't move around much on my own. Vincent nodded again. What about you? I asked him. Hmm? When you were in my dream, was it the same? He nodded, but continued to type on his laptop. While waiting for him to respond, I recorded my other observations from Vincent's dreamscape and became rather engaged in transcribing his dream on my tablet. Every detail intrigued me. I even found myself attempting to sketch out Vincent's character based on his dream. It wasn't all that difficult. For example, he didn't like rooms full of people, which explained why he avoided the cafeteria. Rachel's obscure features told me he really didn't care much for her, despite Julie's story. Climbing into an air duct had been his escape, and he missed the people around the campfire on the beach. I was convinced that last part was a legitimate memory. Vincent closed his laptop, interrupting my train of thought. I have to go, he said. I hadn't been aware of how much time we'd let pass in silence. I'll see you around then, I said. He left without another word. I sat back in my chair and sighed deeply, suddenly remembering Vincent hadn't really answered my question. How's it going? Sophie asked. She slid into the chair Vincent had recently vacated. It's what you would expect. Observing was fun, but Vincent isn't too talkative. I'm kind of working things out on my own. That's too bad, Sophie sympathized. Hopefully your research won't be hindered in any way. 
I don't think so. He does talk, but it's just he makes me feel so ignorant when he does. He's kind of cold, you know. Sophie gave me a sorry look. Yeah, he has that reputation around here. We glanced out the window for a moment without talking. Then she spoke again. Hey, have you heard anything about this building? It has an interesting history. I know it was built in the mid-1930s. Some French scientists built it, right? I said with little interest. Yeah, I heard that too. But you know, some of the building hasn't been renovated yet. There's a whole wing off the faculty hall that's closed up. Oh, really? I wondered what Sophie's point was in bringing this up. I heard some rumors that it may be haunted. Wouldn't it be fun to get in there and look around? Sophie's eyes shone excitedly. Maybe it would, I replied with a short laugh. You like haunted houses? Sophie nodded. It would be nice to blow off some steam, don't you think? What do you say we get in there Friday night and look around? Why not? I'm up for it. The week passed rather slowly after that. I found myself looking forward to my upcoming adventure with Sophie, and as for my dreams, they were worse than ever. Since sharing Vincent's dreamscape, certain components of my own nightmare shifted somehow. The overall dream was the same, but flashes from Vincent's dream would occasionally appear. Sometimes I would even see his face, either in the wall or in the darkness of the elevator shaft. One time he appeared on the stairwell, beckoning me down into the black abyss. Seeing him there produced in me a stronger sense of urgency than I'd known beforehand, though I couldn't understand why. I felt as though I saw Vincent more around campus as well. At times we'd pass each other in the hall on the way to classes, or he would leave his room just as I happened to be walking by. I even saw him more often in the cafeteria, but we never spoke to each other. Vincent acted like he didn't know me, so I followed his lead and did the same. At last Friday came and Sophie knocked on my door. I opened to find her dressed in black, armed with a small flashlight. I laughed aloud. What are you supposed to be, a thief or a ninja? She struck a comical martial arts pose. A ninja thief, of course. She came into my room and shut the door behind her. You need to change. You're too conspicuous like that. I gave an exaggerated sigh and rolled my eyes. You're ridiculous. No one will care what I'm wearing. Everyone's either out or sleeping anyway. Come on, just do it, she pleaded. Fine, you're a nut, I muttered, as I pulled a pair of black pants and a black t-shirt out of my dresser. Soon we emerged from my room and tiptoed through the halls. Though we heard faint voices behind closed doors now and then, we passed no one, and I began to feel a bit of a thrill about sneaking into the west wing, although it seemed to take forever to get there. Then at last we were standing in an empty darkened hall, staring at an ornately carved wooden door. Even from outside the wing, a faint musty smell seeped through the cracks in the door. Sophie turned a worn-out doorknob to find that it opened easily. The door swung open and we stepped across the threshold, closing the door gently behind us. We swept the hall with our lights. Beneath our feet was a well-worn carpet deteriorating in places. As we moved forward, the floor creaked, announcing our entrance into a forgotten place. We entered each room we passed. They were the same, empty of furniture and in the process of being ripped apart. Wallpaper hung, exposing plumbing and plaster. One room was covered in large brown water stains. This is just depressing, Sophie muttered. I was silent, overcome with a sadness I couldn't explain. A lump formed in my throat and I felt a little short of breath. We moved on. The rooms grew colder and mustier the further in we went. 
After a while, we approached a set of double doors in much better condition than anything we'd seen in that part of the mansion. They were heavy, expensive-looking doors with large brass doorknobs. This one's locked, Sophie stated. I sensed her frustration after she tried the knob several times with no success. Guess we won't get in there tonight. There's one more room, I said, motioning with my light. Across from the locked room was a smaller one that looked as though it could have been a guest room at one time. I was tired at this point, and a chill had spread over me. Then I saw it. My light shone on a closet in the corner of the room. I approached it carefully and crept inside, closing the door so I could peer through the crack at the rest of the room. Alina? Sophie sounded confused. I closed my eyes and could see everything. Yes, I had been dreaming about this part of the mansion for weeks, and I'd never even seen it before. Let's go back, I said to Sophie, jumping out of the closet. What's wrong? I didn't reply. I almost bolted into the hall and back the way we'd come. I vaguely heard Sophie following behind, trying to ask me if I were okay. When we exited the west wing, I closed the door behind us a little too forcefully. I would have been concerned someone had heard if I'd cared at that moment. All I wanted was to be away from that room. I didn't want the shadows to find me, if indeed they could when I wasn't lying prone on my bed, vulnerable to my subconscious. Did you see something? Let's go back to my room, I said quietly. We said nothing as we made our way back to the safety of my room. I'd never been happier to open that door. So it is haunted, Sophie ventured as we sat on my bed. I didn't know what to say. I could lie and pretend that it was, but I was too exhausted to even try. I've seen that place before. This is going to sound really strange, but I've been dreaming about that part of the mansion for weeks. I allowed my gaze to meet Sophie's, and I searched her face for a reaction. Her brows were slightly furrowed, but she waited for me to continue. I sat back on the pillows on my bed. I've been having the same dream over and over. There are these black shadowy things coming after me, and I'm running through the academy. Sometimes it's the dorm halls or labs, but I always end up in that room we saw. I always hide in that closet, and then the walls change. These faces appear. They look like dead people. Then I'm somewhere else, in a basement or something. It always ends with me standing in a stairwell, but I can't see what's down there. I never make it down. I want to, even though I think I'll probably end up dying or something horrible will happen. I stopped talking and rested my chin on my knees. When did the dream start? She asked quietly. The day I logged into the dreamscape program, I told her. So it's the program, she stated. I shook my head. They started that way, but now I dream about it no matter what. Napping, logged into the program at night, it doesn't matter. My brain is stuck on that dream. Have you said anything? No, I can't say anything. They'll make me stop using the program. I need to keep researching, I explained. I'll figure out what's going on. I just need a little more time. What does Vincent think? I looked up at Sophie. He doesn't know the dreams are recurring. Not yet, anyway. He's going to find out very soon. I don't know what he'll say. Probably nothing. He doesn't seem to care. Sophie was quiet. We both sat without a word for a while. Then she said, This is what's really been bothering you. I nodded. I don't think I've ever had a nightmare like that before. I mean, I wake up and think something is going to happen to me. It sounds serious then, don't you think? What do you mean? I mean, if you dreamt about that room and you've never seen it before... Maybe you're dreaming about that feeling of danger for a reason, she said. 
What are you thinking? Sophie shifted so that she sat facing me on the bed. Could there actually be a reason to fear? Maybe something weird is going on with the program. Or maybe this place has a strange history, and you're just dreaming about it. People have had premonitions in their dreams before. Actually, it would be a great research project. She was trying to cheer me up. I smiled at Sophie and nodded. She could be right in some way. It's possible that I'd read something about the mansion's history, and I'd just forgotten about it. As for her first suggestion, it had already occurred to me that the Dreamscape program may have produced a glitch of some kind the first time I used it. Though for that to be true, it meant that my brain was now glitching from having used the program. If that were the case, I needed to do something about it soon. We were both tired after our adventure, so we said goodnight and Sophie left my room. I slept restlessly that night. My mind kept mixing up thoughts of the West Wing with my dream, so that I couldn't tell if I were thinking or dreaming. I thought about Vincent a lot, too. He would very soon find out that I kept having the exact same nightmare. I wondered whether I should tell him beforehand. I stayed in my room for most of that weekend, reading or watching shows on my laptop. Maybe I was a little depressed. Sophie came by a couple of times to chat, but though we discussed the dreams and our exploration of the West Wing, we were both at a loss to explain their connection. Then Sunday at lunch, Sophie practically dragged me from my room to the cafeteria. She said I needed to be around people. The cafeteria was usually less occupied on weekends. Many of the students and staff had families nearby or other commitments. Sophie and I found a table near one of the windows at the far end of the cafeteria. Julie and Rachel joined us shortly after we sat down. Honestly, I couldn't say what we talked about. It was the usual polite questions about how everyone's research was going and gossip about this teacher or that student. Before I knew it, Sophie had asked Rachel a personal question about her relationship with Vincent. I was surprised at Sophie's boldness, but intrigued by Rachel's response. Oh, him. Rachel laughed and glanced at Julie. He's not interested in girls, I guess. You mean he's gay? Sophie pressed. Rachel shrugged. Maybe. I don't think so. I know he doesn't like to be around people much. He's very techy, so maybe he'd just prefer to work on his computer. How did you meet him? I asked. I was a beta tester for the program over the summer, she explained. I met Vincent while we were testing. He wrote part of the Dreamscape program, you know. I hadn't known. Where their conversation turned next, I couldn't say. My thoughts wandered, processing the significance of this piece of information. If Vincent had written part of the program, he might be able to explain why I was having the reoccurring dreams. He might even know how to make them stop. A strange idea occurred to me then. I wonder if I can hack into my dreams. Perhaps if I could intentionally prolong the dream and explore it lucidly, I would find something of significance, something that would reveal to me why the dreams began in the first place. As implausible as the idea was, I thought if there was a way to make it happen, I should at least try. Sophie gave me a curious look. She mouthed to me, what's wrong, as Rachel and Julie chatted about something else. I smiled tightly and shook my head. Sophie eyed me for another moment, but said nothing until we left the cafeteria. She walked with me in silence through the hall, and we both said not a word until we were in my room with the door shut. What's wrong, Alina? You suddenly turned pale when we were talking to Julie and Rachel. She sat on my bed cross-legged. I sat opposite her in my desk chair. I had an idea when we were talking, I began. If Vincent wrote part of the Dreamscape program... He might know why I've been having these dreams. 
I thought maybe I should talk to him about it. I shrugged and smiled ruefully. He's going to find out about it tomorrow anyway. Sophie was frowning. What makes you think he'd be willing to help you? I guess I don't see why you won't talk to someone who really knows what they're doing. According to Rachel, Vincent does know what he's doing. Anyway, there's more to it, I paused. I want to try hacking the program so I can explore the dream more. And I want to be lucid. It won't work otherwise. Sophie's frown deepened. I think you would get into a lot of trouble if you got caught. It may even be dangerous to try something like that, don't you think? She shook her head. I folded my arms on the back of the chair and rested my chin on them. I'm tired of these nightmares, Sophie. But I feel like I'm having them for a reason. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. In the end, it could be a real scientific breakthrough. What's the use if you don't tell anyone about it, though? You won't be able to get approval for this, so you'll have to keep your plan a secret. I'm just concerned. Well, there's no guarantee Vincent will be willing to help me anyway. More than likely, he'll freeze me out or say something to make me feel dumb. Don't worry too much. As I endeavored to soothe Sophie's worries, I had already made up my mind to convince Vincent to help me somehow. I was set on carrying out this new plan. Monday arrived, and I was back in the lab preparing to dream. My gut had twisted into a knot of nerves by the time I sat in my lab chair. I could feel my pulse beating much quicker than usual, and my hands wouldn't stop sweating. Waiting for Vincent to arrive was agonizing. I couldn't be sure whether I was more anxious about him finding out about my recurring dreams, or if I worried he would refuse to help me with my plan to hack into the program. At last he did appear in the doorway. As seemed usual for him, he had his laptop backpack slung over one shoulder and looked as though he'd had a fight with his comb. It was too late to worry any longer how he would respond to my situation. I was about to find out.